part of the media ministry of Cornerstone Church. You can listen to this and other messages on our website at www.corner-stone.org or by subscribing to our podcast. Today's teaching is by Pastor Daryl Ruiz. Well, moms make all kinds of sacrifices, amen? Yeah, better say amen, guys. This is, this is that point. Many of them unnoticed, right? I've uh, noticed now that I have two boys of my own. Kind of uh, interesting. My mom had two boys. Now I have two boys of my own. And sometimes, sometimes I recognize that my kids kind of live in this ignorant bliss. Have you noticed that, parents? That your kids enjoy the benefit uh, of your parenting, particularly, we'll say today at least, uh, of moms and they don't even realize all that mom has done for them, clean clothes just show up in their drawer, right? I mean, automatically, somehow, they just make it from dirty, on the floor, into the laundry room, into the washer, dryer, folded, clean, back in their drawer when they want them, right? They just, they don't even know the magic that happens behind the scenes. And I've started to realize just how ignorantly bliss my kids are to some of the things that, that happen behind the scenes. It makes me wonder... And maybe you've thought of it before, of just how ignorantly bliss you were as a child growing up. You know, when you think back to uh, your childhood, how much maybe your mom did for you that you didn't even realize, you know? I worry about that. I worry about that. Um, I do remember and recall some of the things my mom did for me. However, um, she did quite a bit. Moms, you can't underestimate your influence. The impact you have on another life, particularly your children's, is, is really immeasurable. You've got to be careful, though, because kids sometimes notice things we'd rather they didn't. I heard a story recently of a little boy, probably my youngest age, four years old or so, and uh, mom had taken him on her all-day shopping trip, right? And so from store to store to store to store, and he had bared through it all, uh, towards the end, one of the clerks decided to give this patient little boy his lollipop for the day. And mom, as moms typically do, looked at the little boy. What do you say, right, to get him to respond in a thank you to the clerk? And he, you know, kind of caught off guard, not sure what to say. He says, charge it? Yeah, because he probably heard that most of the day. Kids say the darndest things, though, don't they? Just yesterday, we were in the car when uh, Grady decided to ask Kimberly, who's turning uh, another year older tomorrow. I won't say that year. I'm not allowed to do that. Uh, she's, by the way, five months older than me. And Grady knows this. And just kind of out of the blue, from the back seat, he asks this very odd but interesting question. Mom, how is it that you're older than dad, but you know so much less than he does? No joke. This is what he said. And I kind of, you know, froze and, you know, I'm thinking, where did he get that? Where did that come from? And there was this pause, the silence in the car. And, and I could feel that Kimberly was a little bit offended by the question. And uh, her question back to him was, well, Grady, why would you say that? And he says, because you ask dad so many questions, he must just know a whole lot more than you do. Kids pick up on a whole lot, though, don't they? The impact you have on your children, moms, uh, is tremendous. Let me encourage you.
to take just as serious the impact you have on them spiritually. And not just your own children. And this is really the point of the day. It's not just about your immediate children and your immediate family, moms, and even ladies today. Ladies, you have an opportunity to be an influence and an impact, maybe in a greater way than you know. Um, How many of you had a grandmother that was, by all indications, the spiritual backbone of the family? You can look back and you had a grandmother on one side or the other. Yeah, many of you have heard you tell stories about your grandmother. The question is, are you going to be that kind of grandmother down the generations, lady? Is that what might be said about you by your grandkids or your great-grandkids? Will that be the testimony looking back on your life? Today, I'd like to take a, a different look at the role of mother here on this Mother's Day. And I want you to notice the, uh, the extended impact that you potentially have for good or for worse, mom, for better or for worse. You have an impact that really goes beyond your own children particularly the impact you have on subsequent generations and not just your own, not just the kids in front of you, but you have an opportunity to impact through your kids the next generation. And ladies, if you don't have your own kids, you have an opportunity to impact the the families and the generations of ladies around you. Turn to the book of Ruth in your Old Testament. Genesis, Exodus, Leviticus, Numbers, Deuteronomy, Joshua, Judges, and then Ruth. Maybe that surprises you that the book of Ruth comes right after Judges, but it's in the time period where the nation of Israel is being disobedient and there are judges and judgments coming down on the nation of Israel. And you get this one bright spot in the book of Ruth in the Old Testament while the nation of Israel is being disobedient. You see some rare obedience here. You might remember the story of Ruth and Boaz, but maybe you've missed the rest of the story, as Paul Harvey likes to say. There would be no Ruth without a woman named, what was her name? Naomi. And that is, in fact, my very first point. Ruth had a woman ahead of her that she could follow. There would be no Ruth without a woman named Naomi. How many of you ladies would love to have a Naomi ahead of you to follow? How many of you, here's the harder question, ladies. How many of you are living your life so that a Ruth can be watching and following you? I mean, we all want a Naomi for for ourselves to follow. But how many of you are living your life so that you could be a Naomi for the Ruth that comes behind you? It's funny, we all want to have someone to lead us, teach us, to help us, to coach us, but we rarely want to step up and take the the God-given responsibility that we have for those who would come after us. Isn't that the harder thing to do? To step up to the responsibility to be the Naomi's, ladies? And we have lots of excuses, and these work for men as well, so don't think I'm just picking on you, ladies. Men fail to step up to their God-given responsibility to be leaders for other men as well. But it's Mother's Day, so we get to pick on you. Uh, Let me give you just a few of them that I've heard. 
excuses why we don't take up our roles as Naomi's. I've not finished learning myself. Have you heard that one? What could I offer? Because I've got so much to learn myself. Here's another one. I've raised my kids. I'm, I'm in a sense, retired. Retired from work, but also you get the indication that they're retired from life as well. That they're on the downhill. I've raised my kids. Here's another one. My life has been too hard and maybe even tragic. I just don't have it in me. The cards have been stacked against me. I have nothing left to offer. And there are more excuses why we can't step up to being a Naomi. But I would say today that uh, Naomi can be your example. There was nothing about, and this is important, ladies, there was nothing about Naomi's life that was extraordinary. Do you know that? She was the one that made Ruth what she is in a very real sense. She had no extra benefits or blessings that make her more capable than you are. In fact, her life was not only hard, but it was, in fact, tragic. Probably, uh, Naomi followed a disobedient husband into a foreign pagan land, and she was obedient still. He took her to this foreign land, and then he died, leaving her with two sons in a foreign land. She did all this, mind you, in a time where there was a famine in the land. She raised them alone, and then she watched her two sons die. She decides to go back to her homeland, back to Israel. And when she gets there, she's so worn out by her life that the ladies who had once known her, they look at her and they say, is that Naomi? Is that, is that her? They don't even recognize her. Life has been so hard on her. They think it's her, but they're not sure. And her response to their question is, no, I'm not Naomi anymore. The truth is, I need a new name. Naomi, by the way, means pleasantness. And that's what she was when she left. When she came back, she said, I've come back empty, and you can change my name to Mara, which means bitterness. Lost her husband, lost her sons. And that put her in a, in a tough place. And so she finds her way back to her, to her home. And she's barely recognizable. Did Naomi have every benefit that you might even have? I don't think so. Did she have some excuses of why she might just fade into the background and retire from life and influence? She sure did. If anybody had a reason to say, you know what, I'm done. I don't, I don't take up this responsibility for the next generations. I, I'm done. I'm Mara. God has emptied me. And I will just, in my bitterness, fade into the last years of my life. If anybody had that right, Naomi did. After all that, she could have said that, but she... She did not. She did not retire from life and she did not retire from the opportunity to influence ladies around her in the next generation. How many of you ladies would like to finish well like Naomi? Without missing the final blessings that God has to offer you 
in the last days of your life or to offer through you. Because that's the amazing rest of the story of the book of Ruth. It's the story of how Naomi, in the background, behind the scenes, coached up this young lady who gets her own book, the book of Ruth. Um, watch this. I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to walk you through here, and we're just going to hop, skip, and jump through these four chapters just to give you a flavor of how Naomi was a positive impact and influence that made Ruth who she was in the life of Boaz. Now it came about, chapter 1, verse 1, in the days when the judges governed that there was a famine in the land. And a certain man of Bethlehem and Judah went to sojourn in the land of Moab with his wife and his two sons. That's Naomi and her two sons. His name was Elimelech, verse 2. Her name was Naomi. Two sons, Malon, Chilion. Uh, if you want translations of those names, Hebrews na- Hebrew names often meant something and they had some spiritual impact and they also uh, said something about the day and the time. It would be like naming your sons something like puny and pining, runt and sadness. They came out of a disobedient nation of Israel. There was a famine in the land. When there was a famine with the nation of Israel, it meant because there was disobedience and sin. That's the spiritual backdrop of what's going on. And so they've got to leave their land, leave and go to a foreign land, probably, likely, and even more disobedience. And so now here goes Naomi following the leading of her husband, taking these two sons, runt and sadness, out living this hard life. She gets there with him and he dies. We find this out in the very first chapter. He dies. She raises her sons. Her sons marry Moabite women. These are, these are foreign pagan women, not, not Jewish women, not Hebrew women. He, he marries them off to these Moabite women. They raise up and then they die. And now it's just Naomi left with these two, not daughters, mind you, but daughter-in-laws. And now they have no allegiance, right, to Naomi. They don't have to stick with Naomi. Verses 1 through, down through verse 13 of chapter 1, Naomi loses her husband, she loses her two sons, and now the only thing she has in this Moabite land are two Moabite daughter-in-laws, not even of her own blood. Naomi does something interesting here. She says to her daughters-in-law, who have now lived with her for a number of years, probably up to 10 years, she says to them, listen, I'm done. I'm empty. I've got nothing else. My husband's gone. My two sons are gone. You have no attachment to me anymore. Go back to your moms and your dads, essentially. Find new husbands. I have nothing left to offer you. Down in verse 12 of chapter 1, return my daughters. Go, for I am too old to have a husband. Why does she say that? She'd need a new husband if she were going to have new sons so that they could have new husbands from her. She says, it's not going to happen. I'm too old. Even if I had a husband today, she says, are you going to wait? Are you going to wait around until they grow up and they're to the age where you can marry them? You're not going to do that. Go back home. Go back home. And both of them, remember the daughter's names? One is Ruth. The book is named after her. The other one's name is Orpha. Oprah Winfrey was supposed to be named after her, but they got the wording and the letters mixed up, true story, and now she get named Oprah. Orpha literally means uh, the back of the neck. It's the idea of turning your back on someone, which would become 
spiritually unfolded in her life. Um, Ruth, on the other hand, meant a close friend. It's the idea of an embrace as opposed to someone who turns their back on you. It plays out with Naomi because these two daughter-in-laws, at first they say, we're not going anywhere. You get the idea that Naomi was important to them. She had become like a mother to them. They had been married into her home, and Naomi had raised these women as daughters. That's the idea. And they said, we're not going anywhere. We love you. And with just a little more pushback, Naomi says, no, you got to go. You got to go. And it says that Orpah kissed her mother-in-law, and she left. She left. Uh, Naomi even says to them, listen, the life I have to offer you, if you stick with me, there's no material or physical blessing that'll come. Uh, Another side note here, a story within a story. This book is a story of the church. It's the story of the Redeemer, which would be pictured in Boaz, going to the Gentile bride, Ruth, redeeming us out via, via the natural child, Naomi. Okay, And so there, there's another whole story behind the scenes here of Christ and the church. It's another sermon for another day. Just watch it, how these relationships, though, play out. Naomi says, I, I don't have anything left to offer you. And at that, Orpah says, okay, I'm gone. She goes back home. Ruth, on the other hand, it says that she clung to her mother-in-law. Verse 14 of number one. Orpah kissed her mother-in-law and left, but Ruth clung to her. 15, chapter one. Then she said, behold, your sister-in-law has gone back to her people and her gods. Return after your sister-in-law. She pushes her one more time. You don't have to stay with me. Is Naomi concerned with having people just stick with her and live out the rest of her life in, in her bitterness. That's not what Naomi wants. You get the sense here that Naomi wants the best for these daughters-in-law. She treats them as her own. She says, go, go, Ruth. Ruth, you get verse 16, famous verse. Do not urge me to leave you and turn back from following you. For where you go, I will go. Where you lodge, I will lodge. That idea of lodging it's the idea that you don't have a home, so you have to rent somewhere. And I realize that if we got to just rent somewhere in someone else's, uh, someone else's home, then we'll do that. I'll still stick with you. I know that we'll not have a home. That's fine. I'm staying with you. Your people shall be my people. Most importantly, your God, Naomi, will be my God. You think Naomi had some spiritual influence in these daughter-in-law's lives? I think she did. That becomes very evident. She says, I want your God. Even to the point of death, verse 17, where you die, that's where I'll die. And that's where I will be buried. Uh, Custom was that when you died, you would be taken back to your own homeland to be buried appropriately there. She says, I don't even want that. I want to die where you die. Your God is my God. Your people, God's people, they're my people. Ruth says, I'm all in. I'm all in. How did... How did she get there? She got there because of the way Naomi had brought her into relationship. The backstory that we don't get all the details of here is that Naomi meant so much. She meant so much to Ruth that Ruth says, I'll not turn back and go back to my old way of life. I'm following you and I'm following your God to the very end. And so verse 18, Naomi says, okay, 
She didn't try and push her back anymore. The story goes on now, end of verse, uh, chapter 1, verse 19. Naomi goes back to Bethlehem, to Israel. They don't recognize her. Is this Naomi? Verse 20, don't call me Naomi, call me Mara. Bitterness for the Almighty has felt, dealt very bitterly with me. She's not blaming God, but she's just said, my lot in life has emptied me. I've lost my husband and my sons. And here she comes walking back to her people with nothing except for this Moabite daughter-in-law who has sold herself out to her. And now Naomi has to decide, is she going to take the responsibility or is she going to retire in her life and in her influence? Naomi decides, I'm not going to retire. I'm not going to give up in my life. I'm not going to fade away into the shadows, but I'm going to take this girl who's committed herself to not only me, but to this nation and to this people and to this God. And I'm going to live out the rest of my life for her. Now watch what happens. Chapter 2, verse 1. Now Naomi had a kinsman and her husband of her husband, a relative here, a man of great wealth of the family of Elimelech. This was probably a brother or a cousin or an uncle of her husband whose name was Boaz. Boaz means strength. The story unfolds in chapter 2 that Naomi says to Ruth, Ruth, here's some wisdom. Go out and glean from the fields. You find out at the end of chapter 1 and verse 22 that when they return to Bethlehem, it's at the beginning of the barley harvest. This would be sometime in April. It's spring. And you get the idea spiritually that, that seasons are about to change. They've come back in bitterness. They've lost it all. But the season now is going to change, and not just physically, but spiritually, for Naomi and for Ruth. And now it's springtime harvest. Naomi says here in chapter 2 to Ruth, go into our kinsmen's field, and they're going to be gleaning of this field, and you just go to the corners. You go and get the leftovers. Boaz will allow that. If he approaches you, tell him who you are, and you just ask him if you can just have the leftovers. You be humble and you be a servant. And she coaches Naomi through this. Boaz shows up. Who's this girl? He gets the story. She's with Naomi. She's okay. Not only is she okay, but you guys take care of her. Nobody's to lay a hand on her. It was a dangerous time and place to be a woman in the field without the guardianship of a family or a husband or a kinsman. And Boaz, in short, becomes this kinsman to her. By the way, you're going to see throughout this book, if you go back and read this, this letter, I hope you do, that over and over, not only is he called a kinsman, but he gets called an acquaintance. Literally, he gets called a redeemer. In the nation of Israel, you had redeemers in your immediate and extended family. If the father of the family were to die, if your husband, ladies, were to die, someone in the family, based on God's command to the nation of Israel, was to redeem you and your children. And so if this brother died, another brother was to take her as wife and redeem that family so that they're not left to themselves. You were to be, in a sense, adopted by the family. You were to be redeemed out of being on your own. In a sense, this brother, this kinsman, this acquaintance, this, this one who's related closely to you, this literally redeemer, gets to buy you out of your solidarity, and you get to stay part of the family. And that's what Boaz is to Ruth. 
How does that happen? It happens through the wisdom of Naomi. Naomi says, we have this kinsman in this man named Boaz. And she sends him into the fields. And Naomi uh, raises Ruth up. And Ruth is obedient. She does everything that Ruth says. Boaz finds favor with Naomi. And because of Naomi, Boaz says to Ruth, you stay with me and I'll protect you. Ruth goes back and she tells Naomi what has happened. Verse 18 of uh, chapter 2. She took it up and went into the city and saw her mother-in-law and showed her what she had gleaned. She also took it out and gave it to Naomi, what she had left after she was satisfied. Boaz sat her at the table and fed her and she had more than she could be filled with. And Boaz says, go back and bless your mother-in-law. Isn't it interesting now that through Naomi's obedience, passed down through Ruth, Ruth returns now and she blesses Naomi through the Redeemer Boaz. Naomi now finds herself blessed by what she's poured into Ruth. Ruth comes back and says, I did what you told me. Verse 19, her mother-in-law then said to her, where did you glean today and where did you work? May he who took notice of you be blessed. So she told her mother-in-law, with whom she had worked and said, the name of the man with whom I work today was Boaz. She started out with Boaz, but, but Naomi didn't know that she would continue there or that Boaz would have favor on her. She sent her into his fields and Boaz adopted her in. He protected her. She comes back to her mother-in-law and says, here's what Boaz has done. Verse 21, then Ruth, the Moabitess said, furthermore, he said to me, you should stay close to my servants until they have finished all my harvest. Naomi said to Ruth, verse 22, to her daughter-in-law, it is good, my, what does she call her? My daughter, that you go out with his maids so that others do not fall upon you in another field. She continues to pour wisdom into this girl. You stick with Boaz. Did she leave her to her own? She brought her home. She calls her her daughter and she pours into her as if she were her very own. Ruth finds herself blessed. Chapter 3, the story goes like this. Naomi tells her mother-in-law, I'm going to go back to Boaz. Verse 1 of chapter 3, here's what Naomi says to Ruth. My daughter, shall I not seek security or rest for you that it may be well with you? The heart of Naomi is for the good of this daughter-in-law. She wants to see her not just successful, but she wants to see her blessed and at peace, and at rest, and protected. Ruth was husbandless. She was out on her own. She had no one at this point but Naomi to protect her. Through Naomi's relationship with her brother-in-law, perhaps, Boaz, now Ruth gets blessed. And so chapter 3, Naomi says, here's what I want you to do, Ruth. Since Boaz has taken you in, I want you to present yourself to him. I want you to offer yourself to him. She does, chapter 3, long story short, she goes into Boaz and essentially offers herself to Boaz. And Boaz says, I will take you. But wait, before I do, we've got to make sure this thing is legal and just. There's actually a kinsman, there's a redeemer, who's closer in relation to Naomi than I am. And so we've got to follow all the rules here. We've got to make this thing legal and legitimate. Interesting correlation here with Christ and Boaz, by the way. Boaz chapter 4, he goes to the city gates and he sat down there. This is where you would do business. This close relative whom Boaz had in mind comes by and he says, listen, 
Let me, uh, let me have a talk with you here. Verse 1. Turn aside and sit down. And then he called ten elders to be witnesses. Verse 2, chapter 4. He calls ten elders so that everybody will know exactly what's going to happen here. And he essentially says to this guy, listen, you're a closer relative than I am. It's your obligation and responsibility, and it's your right, if you want it, that you can take Naomi, the widow of our kinsman, Elimelech. You can, you can buy his land that Naomi has, and you can, in a sense, you can adopt Naomi, and you can have our kinsman's land. That's your right. You have first right to it. He says, do you want it? And the, uh, and the guy says, yeah, I'll take it. I'll redeem that land and I'll redeem Naomi. Then Boaz says this, but you got to take with Naomi and with the land, you have to take Ruth because Ruth comes with Naomi. You see that Naomi has adopted and made her a part of this package deal. She's not left her out in the cold. She's not going to leave this, this daughter-in-law to fend for herself. She becomes family. And Boaz recognizes this and he says, if you're going to take the land and you're going to take Naomi, the widow of our kinsman, you got to take the widow of our kinsman's son who's also passed away. And the way this thing works is you get Ruth as well. And he says, I can't do that. There's some legal reasons, another sermon for another day. That will mess up my inheritance. You get it. And so he says, I release rights to the land and to Naomi and also to Ruth. And Boaz says, okay. Boaz's promise to Ruth was this, that if he passes, I'll take it all. And I'll take you. And that's what happens. Ruth gets redeemed by Boaz. Now that's a beautiful love story and it's a beautiful portrait of Christ. Here's the point. It, it doesn't happen if not for Naomi. If not for Naomi, none of that takes place. Ruth doesn't get back to the, to the land of Israel. She never makes it to Bethlehem where the Redeemer would be waiting. She never makes it. She goes back to a pagan land and maybe marries a new husband, a pagan husband, and follows, follows a pagan god. But to the degree that uh, Ruth says, I'm with you, Naomi. Naomi says, I've got a choice to make here. <laughs> I can fade into the shadows and live out my life in bitterness, remembering all that I've lost, or I can finish my life well through this daughter-in-law of mine. And she does. She takes her home. She takes her home, and she lives her life not primarily for herself. She lives it for Ruth. And Ruth becomes this beautiful book and this beautiful redemption story. All because of the faithfulness of Naomi. We look at the end of chapter 4 because I want you to see that Naomi in the end is the one who turns out being blessed. Chapter 4, verse 11. Boaz and Ruth have married now. God has blessed them with a child. Here's the response of the same women who said, Is that Naomi? It looks kind of like her, but she's wore out. Look at their response now. All the people who were in the court and the elders and all the witnesses said, We are witnesses. May the Lord make the woman who is coming into your home like Rachel and Leah, both of whom built the house of Israel. And may you achieve wealth in Erethath and become famous in Bethlehem. Moreover, may your house be like the house of Perez, 
whom Tamar bore to Judah. If you want the backstories to those, you've got to find them. But they all point to a blessing. They all point to a future redeemer, by the way. Through the offspring of which the Lord will give you by this young woman. 13. So Boaz took Ruth and she became his wife. And he went into her and the Lord enabled her to conceive. And she gave birth to a son. Then the women said to Naomi. Look at the different, the difference now. Blessed is the Lord who has not left you without a redeemer today. And may his name become famous in Israel, this newborn son. May he also be to you a restorer of life and a sustainer of your old age. For your daughter-in-law, who loves you and is better to you than seven sons, has given birth to him. Now watch this. Then Naomi took the child and laid him in her lap and became his nurse. She gets to become nanny, (laughs) grandma here. The idea here is that she takes him into his lap as as if he is her very own. Her line got cut off, didn't it? Can God still bless? He sure can. Would it have happened if she weren't obedient? Naomi was obedient. And God is faithful. 17, the neighbor women gave him a name saying, a son has been born. Who is this son born to, by the way? Is it born to Ruth? Verse 17, no. The son is now born to Naomi. What a blessing. So they named him Obed. And he is the father of, by the way, Jesse. Who's Jesse? Incidentally, Jesse is the father of David. Who would David be the father of eventually all the way down the line? Anybody know? He'd be the father of the Redeemer, Jesus. Is Naomi blessed? Absolutely. Absolutely. Did she have everything going for her so that she could be obedient? Not exactly. Ruth gets a child through her redeemer, Boaz. The child would be the father of Jesse, the father of David, the king who would be the promised line of Jesus. But the backstory to Ruth and Boaz is a faithful and influential Naomi. Don't be fooled into thinking Naomi had it easy because she did not. I had a football coach that loved to tell us before our games, don't let the circumstances control the way you play. Very often... We'd have a rainy day, much like today. And as a quarterback, you hate a rainy day. It's hard to hold on to the football. You're the first person that has to touch it. You've got to be able to hand it to the next guy. you got every reason to say, this is going to be a bad day. And he would look right at the quarterback and he'd say, don't let the circumstances of the day, don't let the circumstances of the game, whether it's rainy, whether it's snowing, whether it's muddy, uh, whether your back hurts, whether you're sick at your stomach, whether you're tired, whatever it is, don't let the circumstances surrounding this game dictate how you play the game. Naomi had every reason to let the circumstances dictate how she was going to live out the rest of her life, didn't she? But she did not. The circumstances weren't the best, but she decided she was going to take her responsibility and not fade into the retirement of life or influence. Backstory to Ruth and Boaz is a faithful Naomi. Naomi had a foundation of faith. That's obvious. Naomi's life drew others to her and her faith. That is obvious. 
Let me just show you a few things. She wasn't primarily concerned with herself, was she? If you're going to be influential, ladies, and not just moms with your immediate children, but grandmas, mother-in-laws, ladies with children of extended family, or even church family, if you're going to be influential, you're going to have an impact. You cannot be primarily concerned about yourself. She also recognized those who needed her. You know, often I I realize that when it comes to mentors and mentees, Naomi's and Ruth's, we fail to recognize that there are Ruth's out there who need us. Ladies, as you go through life, keep looking back for the Ruth's. Don't just press so hard ahead that you don't realize that there are ladies behind you who need help, who are looking for Naomi's. Aren't you all looking for Naomi's? You sure are. Don't you think there are Ruth's looking at the back of your head saying, I wish she'd turn around and help me? Why don't you turn around and look and see who can I help? Forget the excuses. I need help myself. I'm not far enough along myself. I don't have enough to offer. My life has been too hard. It's got too much tragedy. Don't let those be excuses. Naomi accepted responsibility. She looked at Ruth and said, okay, I'll take you. I'll take you home. She didn't just take her home, but she wanted the best for Ruth. And she found ways to point Ruth in a wise direction. She led Ruth to the Redeemer. She led Ruth to wisdom. She led Ruth to blessings. And in the end, she ended up blessed herself. How many of you want to finish well? How many of you want your life to, in the end of your days, uh, not end up fading into the background, even worse, fading into bitterness? How many of you want your life not to be missing the, the blessedness that God wants to pour out on you in the end of your days, but also the blessedness that God wants to pour out through you in the end of your days. Thank God Naomi didn't retire from life. There'd be no book of Ruth. There'd be no redemption. There'd be no child. There would be no rest. There would be no blessing out of the bitterness. My dear friend Tom Hamilton loved to say, for better or worse, I'm a part of each life that I touch. For better or worse, I'm a part of each life that I touch. I pray the world is better off for your having touched it, ladies. Let's pray. Father God, we all need the one ahead of us that we can follow after. And that's easy to admit. But what's hard to embrace is that we all need, wherever we are in life, to be the one who is looking back for those who might need a hand up. And surely, Father, for our Our women who have children, it is their primary responsibility that they become that to their children. But might they also recognize through this story of Naomi that even if it's not their kids, even if life 
has dealt them a hand that is, uh, that is just hard to, hard to hold. It leaves a bitter taste in their mouth. Father, help them to know that they still have an opportunity through your grace and mercy to have an impact on the women around them. Younger women, spiritually younger women, and they don't even have to know it all. They don't even have to be perfect, Lord. They need to be willing. And they need to be willing to take up the responsibility. Lord, make it clear to our ladies the influence and impact they can have, not just in the lives of their children, but in the lives of all those around them. We, the men in their lives, we, uh, we thank God for the women in our lives. We bless them this day. We're glad for them. We're glad for them. We ask that you would give them grace, that you would give them strength, that you would give them the uh, patience and the perseverance to make it through those days when their service goes unnoticed, as it often does. Lord, for, uh, for us sons and husbands, would you give us wisdom? Help us to see those, those things that uh, all too often go unnoticed. Help us to, to call them out, to appreciate them, and to encourage with them. Lord, use the body of Christ as it's meant to be used as a family united entwined connected together strengthening itself through relationships we'll be glad for it in Jesus name Amen Amen Thank you for listening today. We hope this message was a blessing to you. To learn more about our church or our media ministry, you can visit us online at www.corner-stone.org or find us on Facebook.